You're listening to Creation Talk with your host, Scott Devlin, and special guest, Dr. Don Batten. Don, you have one of the most viewed articles on creation.com. It's got over 2 million views. And the title of the article is Who Created God? Now, you've spent 29 years traveling the world, talking about creation evolution issues, talking about the Bible, talking about science. And before that, you were 20 years a researcher while still being a Christian, a professional researcher. So you must have seen so many questions. You must have seen this question come up. But I found this really surprising that the most asked question is, who created God? Because I've hardly heard that question. So first of all, can you tell us, have you heard that question? Do you hear it a lot? And why is this the most asked question? Well, it's a it's a go-to question for many atheists. It's like a gotcha question. They pose this thinking there's no answer to it. Right. And, uh, you know, Bertrand Russell, probably the most famous English atheist after Richard Dawkins in recent times, and Richard Dawkins, and Australia's own Philip Adams, for example, this is their go-to question for why I don't believe in God. I think maybe they've not thought about it very much, which is a strange thing to say, but when you think about it, uh, maybe they think the targeted person really has no idea and therefore it's, you know, as I say, a gotcha question. But it's not a very logical question because uh, the question presupposes that God had a beginning. Right. Because only things that have a beginning need to be created. Mm. So, yeah, that's where it falls down. They haven't really thought about it very much because the, the Bible reveals God as being eternal. What's that mean? No beginning. From everlasting to everlasting, the eternal one. So God is eternal. He didn't have a beginning, and something which is eternal can't have a can't have a cause, can't have a beginning. So there's no cause. So no Christian believes in God who had a beginning. Yes. So the question's a bit like saying, "Well, to whom is a bachelor married?" Yes. Uh, hang on a minute. A bachelor, by definition, is not married. So the question's nonsensical. And the question, "Who created God?" is basically nonsensical. Yeah, so it sounds like, from what you're saying, it's not the Christians that are asking this question, it's the non-Christians that are asking this question. Yeah, yeah. No, no Christian believes in a God who was created. Right, okay. So, And and, and that makes sense, because before we were doing this just a couple of days ago, I knew we'd be talking about who created God, so I decided to type it into YouTube, and of course what came up was some of the names you're saying. There's Richard Dawkins saying to his uh, debating opponent, who created God? So this very much seems like it's a atheistic question. It's, an, it's a question that the atheists ask. Very much so, yeah. And, and do you reckon they're thinking that because in their idea, everything has evolved, so there's a there's a big, there's big something before everything, for example. They're thinking, well, you know, eventually humans evolved out of apes, and before apes, there was lower creature and lower creature, you know, and down to the single-cell amoeba, and before that, there was chemicals, and before that, there was cosmological evolution. So do you think it's they're trying to just keep pushing back they're trying to push back and they think okay well christians you say god was the person before the universe so what was before god and they just kind of stuck in that train of thinking well it's the thing is that they're materialists so everything material everything physical has a core has a beginning and therefore has to have a cause so they're thinking god of god in terms of a physical entity yes not in terms of a spiritual entity yep and so they reduce God to their own understanding, and then so then their question arises: Who created God? That makes a lot of sense. They reduce God to their own understanding, and then that's when the question arises. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, Don. So the atheists are saying, "Who created God?" They're thinking there should be something before God, but the Christian is saying, "Well, God's the uncreated creator." 
Now, why do we need an uncreated creator? Well, the universe has a beginning. Right. That's the point. So you think about stars, like our sun uses up hydrogen to produce light and energy that spreads through the solar system and further afield, and it's using up its hydrogen. And it's still there, and it's still burning up its hydrogen, so the amount of hydrogen is limited, so eventually it will run out of hydrogen. Now, we're here having this conversation, so obviously it hasn't run out of hydrogen. So it had a beginning, and every star in the universe is like that. The fact that there are stars, that they're actually still burning, means that the universe had a beginning. So Christian or atheist both believe the same, the universe that, had a beginning. That's right. Just about everybody believes the universe had a, had a beginning, because... Yes. That's what modern science tells us. I mean, this is an aspect of what's called a second law of thermodynamics, right. which is this, it's a dispersal of energy, that things are running down, that things are running out. They don't just wind up by themselves. And consequently, the universe has been running down, uh, and then you can put a time frame on it and so on. They do that. But there's a recognition that there's a beginning. So the universe can't be eternal. Now, it used to be the atheist used to try to believe the universe was eternal. Mm. So you didn't have to explain where it came from. Yes. But when you get to the point of understanding the universe had to have a beginning, then you need to explain where did it come from. Right. At least the Big Bang idea recognizes there's a beginning, but then you have a problem. What caused it? You know, if I said to you, the chair you're sitting on, nobody made it, it just made itself, just popped into existence, you would say, man, you need a psychiatrist. Yes. That's (laughs) True. Principle of cause and effect. Principle of cause and effect is an absolute principle of science. Yes. It says where, what caused the universe. How do they explain that? Because it seems like, well, the cause must be God. There must be a God that created what we see now. And what you're also saying is that, well, because of the second law of thermodynamics, things were wound up at one point mm. to the point where now they can be unwound. Mm. So who did the winding up and who was there at the beginning? Yeah. So that, that's the question. That's the problem for the atheist. So Because they, they, they've got clever ways of trying to explain how the universe came from nothing. Yes. Uh, which is ultimately what they have to try to explain. Yes. And I don't know about you, but I've never seen nothing do anything. <laughs> but they have to try to believe that nothing created the universe just by itself with no cause whatsoever. It's like magic. Yeah, wow. And so I guess if, if you've acknowledged the universe has a beginning then you're in this difficult situation. And I've seen a lot of atheistic scientists try to get out of that, the universe has a beginning, even today. I mean, you were mentioning since the Big Bang really took up wide acceptance in the 1960s after the discovery of the cosmic microwave background radiation, people have often said, oh, well, it all shrank back to a point and therefore it has a beginning. Mm. But even now, more recently, you've got these ideas of multiverse or the universe, you know, recycling itself and things like this. Is that there's some of the reasons they're coming up with these ideas to avoid the beginning. They don't actually solve the problem, though. They just push it off further away. Right, true. One universe giving birth to another universe, that universe that gave birth to our universe had to have more energy, more available energy, because you can't get a process which creates stuff. So you have this infinite regression, but you can't have an infinite regression of causes one after the other. Somewhere there had to be an eternal cause for the universe. Got you. So even these people that are trying to say, actually, the universe has existed for an infinite time, it doesn't really work. No. Well, it can't. The universe, our universe can't exist for an infinite time, and the Big Bang recognizes that. 
But then they try to push it off somewhere else, you know, to, to push it further away. But they don't solve the problem. I, I, and I've actually heard a lot of people, the, well, maybe it's the majority, but many uh, scientists, cosmologists don't believe in the multiverse. They just believe in the standard Big Bang. So so the majority of scientists definitely believe in there's a beginning. The ones that are trying to stretch it out, it still doesn't really work. So the point is, there's a beginning. There's a beginning. The universe has a beginning. Yeah. And... Does this point to God that the universe has a beginning, or could a beginning just happen without God? Well, nothing nothing creates itself by itself. That's a logical impossibility. Destroys the whole concept of science, law of cause and effect. So to believe that things just happen without cause is irrational, basically. Like believing in the chair you're sitting on just happened. So things don't just pop into existence from nothing. So there had to be something that created the universe. And the thing is that what created the universe can't be material stuff like the universe because it would be subject to the second law of thermodynamics and it would be have a limited life as well. This is this whole idea of sequence of universes and things doesn't solve the problem because ultimately there has to be a beginning somewhere. Um, so, But what evidence is there from any other universe other than ours? Absolutely none. We have our universe, we observe that. Do we observe any other universe? Nothing. There's no evidence whatsoever for it. It's a philosophical invention. True. So it's maybe not even worth going there because there's no observational evidence that says we live in a multiverse. We know we have this one observable universe, and that, that's all we know of. That's right. So the thing is that the cause of the universe can't be material. It can't be physics and chemistry like our universe. It had to be something which can be eternal. Something had to be eternal. And what can be eternal? Physics, matter, and energy can't be eternal. But a spiritual being, a non-natural being, a supernatural being, entity, can be eternal. And that's, funnily enough, the Bible describes God in those terms. From everlasting to everlasting, the eternal one, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's so many ways in which the Bible describes God as the eternal creator God. And not only that, but absolutely amazing power. And because we see the universe and think whatever the cause of the universe was, was just amazing. And you know? so we, this all points to, and Psalm 13, to Psalm 19, as different Psalms talk about how the universe displays the glory of God. Yes. And we see the universe had a beginning, had to have a sufficient cause. Sufficient cause had to be spiritual, can't be material. All points to a creator like the Bible talks about. Yeah. So you're saying the the awe of creation and the amount of winding up, the amount of low entropy that was needed to begin with is such a big thing that it needs someone as magnificent as the God described in the Bible yeah. to, to make the thing happen. Yeah. Because earlier I was thinking, you were saying, okay, well, matter and energy and these things can't be eternal. And I was thinking, well, I guess the atheist might argue, well, energy, you know, is not is conserved right you know that's one of the laws energy is conserved and so you could say well energy is eternal but i think coming back to the winding down and the second law of thermodynamics point is that yes energy might transform to different forms of energy but it becomes more useless yes less available yes less available yeah that's the correct wording i think so it's transformed into heat and the heat is just dispersed right through the universe yes and once that happens you can't do anything. So you could the same amount of energy is still there. That's that right. might be the rhetoric that comes back. The same amount of energy is still there. Yeah. But the point is, it's can't, not useful. Not useful. Can't so, do anything. It's called heat death. You know, yeah. the universe ends with a whimper. Yes. 
Yes, and I've I've heard some people talk about that. There's, the heat death is coming to us. Yeah, and of course, I guess mind you, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but it, it's, yeah, it'll it'll eventually happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm 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 believing Jesus will come back first before the heat death. Well, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> so we've seen that there's good evidence to show the universe had a beginning, and it seems very logical to believe the universe had a beginning. The evidence inside the universe, the evidence, uh, the scientific evidence says the universe had a beginning and most people accept that. So we know that it needs a cause because if it's got a beginning, it has a cause and there needs to be a creator to make that cause happen. And so the creator needs to be outside of time, space and matter in order to create the time, space and matter. So we've established that there's God, which is a pretty big thing. We've established that there's God just with a little bit of logic and thinking about it, you can say, there's God. The evidence is plain to us through creation. God has revealed himself. Now, before I became a Christian as an adult, as a young person, I saw the evidence for God and I thought there must be God, even though my science teachers were telling me something different and the general education system was telling me there's no God. But I thought, which God is it? There's so many world religions. Which God is it? So why the God of the Bible? Why not one of these other gods as many religions in the world? Well, you touched upon it there that the attributes of the universe, what the universe we see, says something about the nature of its creator. Right. And so the universe is orderly, which means that the creator must be orderly. If you look at Zeus and his crowd, the Greek gods, the pantheon of Greek gods, for example, they're a rabble, in a complete and utter rabble. I mean, if they were in charge, the universe wouldn't be orderly. Right, yeah. You think about, say, Eastern mysticism, and you've got this pantheistic idea that the universe is a thought emanating from, you know, God, who is the universe. But if the universe is a thought emanating from the God, then the God could change his mind and the universe could change. So again, the universe consistency speaks against these other gods. So, you know, if the universe was one big thought, it could change its mind and would do different tomorrow. You know, it's interesting that Modern science actually grew out of a Christian worldview because we had this idea that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Bible says. Yeah. And he's consistent and he's faithful. And these attributes of the creator God in the Bible actually match the attributes of the universe that he created. And so Romans 1 says that we see the attributes of God in what he has created. And so we're without excuse if we say he doesn't exist. So... So it's only reasonable there's only one true creator God, not many. And even most world religions have, even the pantheistic ones, have a supreme God in amongst it. Mm. And, and animists, you know, uh, they have an idea of a supreme creator. And they've got all this pantheon of spirits and things, but behind it all, they've got this concept of a one creator who made everything. It's a very common idea right across world religions almost. Interesting. That there's one creator God, even in the midst of lots of other gods. Interesting, yeah. So the way the universe looks, it looks like there's one God who's in charge. Yeah. And that's recognized through these different religions. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Don. So we've covered quite a bit of ground here. We've first of all said, well, it's obvious the universe has a beginning. There's evidence to say the universe has a beginning. Therefore, it needs an uncreated creator. And that can't be time, space, or matter. It has to be something that's outside that time, space, and matter. And so that's kind of establishing there's a God, I guess. Mm. And then we've said, well, 
it seems like the evidence is also consistent with the God of the Bible because the God of the Bible claims to be consistent, a consistent creator. And that's what we observe in nature. And you even mentioned something there that that's even how we can do science is because there's a consistent God. Could you just elaborate on that point? Yeah, it's not just that God is consistent. That makes nature consistent. We can do experiments tomorrow and expect the same result as today. But also, there's a whole lot of other things that come from the Christian view of God that make science possible, one of which is that we're made in the image of God. So because we're made in the image of God, we can, to some extent, think God's thoughts after him. Wow. As one of the great uh, astronomers, scientists said in the past, you know, Kepler, I think it was said, said he's thinking God's thoughts after him and studying the creation. Wow. So uh, you're saying that about science. He said, when I do my science... What I'm doing is I'm thinking God's thoughts after him. So that's God, right. God has had a thought. He's put it into creation. That's right. And because we're made in the image of God, we can discover that's right. what he was thinking. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> or we yeah. can discover at least how he's made it. Yeah, and that yeah. indicates what he was thinking. Yeah. Wow. And but then another thing that came into this was that because we're fallen, that is we our our thinking is corrupted because of sin then we can't necessarily trust our thinking about these things. It needs to be tested. And so you do experiments wow. to actually test your thoughts. And so the experimental method actually grew out of the idea from the Bible that we are fallen, we, our intellect is not no longer perfect, and we can therefore not think perfect thoughts. The Greeks before Christ thought that they could think perfect thoughts. They didn't have to do experiments. And so science didn't really go very far with the Greeks. But once you start to do experiments to test things, uh, then that was the progress of science in the last hundreds of years. Wow, because often we hear the Greeks, you know, that kind of time, especially with the Renaissance, thinking, well, that was the time when we really thought good thoughts and we did a lot of good logic and thinking and philosophy. And and I guess they did to an extent, they did a lot of good thinking. That's but, right. But I think a really important point you're making here, Don, is that the scientific method only came about uh, was it the Middle Ages? That's right. And that was that came about because of the recognition that we're fallen. Mm. And so actually the Greeks were very limited there because they didn't come up with the scientific method because no. they thought they could think really good thoughts. That's right. They didn't have wow. to test their thoughts. In wow. fact, they thought it was beneath their dignity to actually test their ideas with experiments. Wow. So there's a certain humility that's needed in doing science. And I would say that's very important. It's a very important aspect of being a scientist to realize you don't know much and you can have, you know, fallacious thoughts. Yes. You need to test things with experiments. Yeah. And you find that some of your thoughts don't work out. So what we're saying is that in the Middle Ages, the scientific method developed because of the, the biblical understanding. It was born out of the biblical worldview and we needed to recognize that we were fallen mm. and therefore we had to do experiments and we couldn't just think. That's right. Yeah, and it seems like that's a given now though, Don, you know, where everyone, you know, Christians, non-Christians, atheists, they say, oh, of course you need to do experiments, of course. But I guess it was a bit of a revolution at the time. It was, yeah. Now, some people are gonna to wanna to listen to that whole interview, but what I find is when I'm on the street evangelizing to people, They've not got much time and they need a short answer, but they're ready to have a quick conversation, but they would just want a short answer. So I'm going to ask you a number of questions in a row. And I'm going to ask you to give a short answer and this will help equip us and the people out there so that we've got a short answer too. So the first question, here we go. Can you be good without God? Yeah, well, maybe, but how would you know that you're good? By what measure would you use? Mm. 
there's a problem. If you're an atheist or a materialist, everything is a product of chemistry and physics plus time and chance. So how do you get moral standards from that? Moral standards are such as don't rape, don't come for physics and chemistry. A moral law can only come from a moral lawgiver, and the only ultimate moral lawgiver is God. So there's a catch-22 there for someone who says, I'm good. How do you know? Right. They don't have a standard don't have a to standard. measure themselves by. Wow. So that was a great answer. Maybe, but how would you know that you are good? <laughs> okay. Next question. Is good considered good because God says it is, or is good an absolute value that God simply recognizes? Yeah, this is an old philosophical question that was actually grappled with in the times of the Greek philosophers. So the thing is, God, good is good, not because God says so, but because that's his character. So good is defined by the character of God. What God says about morality is rooted in and consistent with his character, so it's not arbitrary. So that's the answer to the question. It's not just because God says so, but because it's rooted in his character. How can you believe in something you can't see or hear? Well, when you fly an aeroplane, you have faith that there's a pilot up the front piloting an aeroplane. Why? Because it is actually flying in a consistent manner. It's not crashing. If it was crashing, you'd imagine there mightn't be a pilot there. But you know there's a pilot there because of the fact the plane is flying properly. Likewise, there's plenty of evidence that God exists because of the existence and operation of the universe. It could not make itself. Life could not form without a creator. There's also evidence the Bible is no mere human creation. It has divine fingerprints all over it. And Jesus, your life, death and resurrection also reveal God. Often people will say to me, it's quite arrogant to believe that your God's true and all the other religions are wrong. What would you say to that? Well, and everybody's arrogant because everybody thinks that they are, they're right in their beliefs. And they think that means other people are wrong. If you think you're right, then you're saying that other beliefs are wrong. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if this is true, then all other religions are wrong, says none of them accept it. It's not arrogant to agree with the creator of the universe. That's the bottom line. It's the height of arrogance to think you know better than your creator. Next one. Atheists would say, I just believe in one less God than you. What would you say to that? Uh, this is just tricky rhetoric. There's a world of difference between believing in God and not believing. Mm. It's like a single person saying to a married person, there's not much difference between us. I'm just married to one less person than you. Mm. You never know one would ever say that. It's a ridiculous thing to say. And it's, it's just tricky rhetoric, that sort of statement. Is it possible to scientifically prove that God exists? Well, no, it's not possible to prove that he does exist or does not exist because we can't put God in a test tube and do experiments. But that doesn't mean there's no evidence. The evidence is powerful that God exists for those who are willing to consider it. Now, some people would say God is just a cop-out. Let's say you've invented a God of the gaps because science hasn't found out all the answers. So you're just using God as a stopgap until science does find the answers. What would you say to that? Well, now our argument is not because we don't understand something, therefore God must have done it. The argument is we understand how it works. Therefore, there must be a supreme intelligent creator behind what we're looking at. For example, you look at the coded information in the DNA. Coded information doesn't come about by physics and chemistry. This is a sure finding of modern science. 
So this indicates there must be intelligence involved. That's the sort of evidence we're looking at. We're not saying that we, we believe in God because we don't understand something. We say we believe that there must be a God because we do understand it. That makes sense. So my next question is, you sometimes hear this, and you might have answered it already, but I'll, I'll give it you here. How can God create something from nothing? So what some people might say is, how can a non-physical being create a physical universe? Well, I have no idea because I'm not God. I don't have the understanding to, to explain this. I mean, God can speak things into existence. I mean, I can't. You can't. A magician might pretend to do so. So the cause of the universe could not have been some physical chemical stuff. We've established that, but yeah, because that stuff can't be eternal. So only a non-physical or supernatural entity could be eternal, and thus the universe must be created by something like the Bible description of God. Got you. So they're asking the question, how can a non-physical being create a physical universe? But the point is, it's a miracle. And and the miracle is necessary because of what we talked about previously. That's right. Is there anything you want to say in closing? Oh, just to reiterate that the question, who created God, is not a very sensible question. It's not a logical question. Christians shouldn't be intimidated by this. Just say, I don't believe in God who was created. That's it. That's the answer. Wow. I don't believe in a God who was created. Yes. My God's bigger than that. That's right. Well, I don't believe in a God who had a beginning. <laughs> wow. Don, thanks a lot for your time. This has been really informative. Thanks, Scott.